We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the tweets, the retweets, the shares, the emails. Jill, just thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Matt Wool, CEO of Acceleration Partners and co-author of the book, Moving to Outcomes. Matt started out working in the movie business, first working on story development, then moving into the business side. He realized he liked to make sense of things, to pull things together, pull on strands and implement a structure and order to everything. He left the movie industry to go to business school, where he met and worked with entrepreneur Robert Glazer. After business school and some years working at other companies, he returned to work with Robert, eventually moving up in Acceleration Partners to becoming CEO. In Acceleration Partners, Matt works on helping businesses grow by building relationships. He helps them set up affiliate, influencer, and other similar types of programs. Once established, businesses can expect to see 10 to 15% of their online sales come from affiliate partnerships. In order for a company to benefit from affiliate marketing, they need a good site and good conversion rates in order to maintain the partnership. Matt also explains why selling products through Amazon can be a major problem when trying to pursue successful partnerships. Now, let's get better together. Matt Wool, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, excited to be here. Well, thanks for uh, being on the show. You know, we were talking a little bit before we hit record. You're the CEO of Acceleration Partners. You've actually written a book with the founder of Acceleration Partners, Robert uh, Glasser, 
called Moving to Outcomes, which we'll talk about in a second. That's really cool. I love when people write books. I know sometimes it seems a little bit like we need another business book. Well, uh, yeah, actually you do. And my philosophy, and I'll love to hear your thoughts on this in a second. You know, I think if you learn something, do something, you got to share something. So that's just me. But before we get into all that and talk about what Acceleration Partners does and all that sort of fancy dancy stuff, what I like to say, of course, the first question is tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Yeah, um, it's a very good question. Uh, I got to do this totally by accident. Um, I'm one of those people who started uh, in a very different place and and zigged and zagged until I found uh, my my place. So I actually started my career uh, in the movie business. I worked at movie studios, uh, Disney, and some other places. Um, I was involved in a production of a bunch of movies. Um, after a while, I decided that wasn't really where I wanted to be, and I went to business school to try to sort out my next step. And um, uh, there's probably a lot of people listening to this. Uh, show who've uh, either gotten an MBA or thinking about it, and that's probably a topic we can get into it in depth in a whole other whole other show. But uh, while I was there, uh, I met uh, Bob Glazer, who you mentioned, uh, the co-author of the book and the founder of Acceleration Partners, and uh, he was just starting the company, and uh, he was um, you know looking for some help. So I, I did some work with him, uh, and then I, I after business school, I went out and I worked uh, for a couple of other companies, technology companies. And I was bored, bored and hated it. And he called me and said, you know, I'm starting up, uh, I'm expanding my agency. I'd love you to come and jump on board. And I did. So uh, that was 10 years ago now. And I came on as vice president of client services. And it's been a wild ride since then. Then I became general manager, then I became president, then I became CEO last year. So uh, it has been a very zigzagging process. Um, and I'm happy to get into to any of it. But it was not a thing where I had a very specific goal in mind and uh, set out to achieve it at all. Yeah. So you didn't sit down when you were 12 in your bedroom and say, you know what, I'm gonna, gonna run, be CEO of this, you know, thing that does affiliate marketing and this and that and the other thing. And, or, you know, that didn't Far ever happen. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, what, but, what? No, not, when I was 12, I wanted to be like, you know, Stanley Kubrick. And that, yeah. that was, that was my original straight line goal. <laughs> and then, you know, decided eventually that, that that was right. What 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 movies did you work on? I'm curious. Yeah, so I worked on a bunch of animated movies. Uh, a movie called Shark Tale. Um, okay. uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about Will Smith anymore, but he's in that movie. Yeah, yeah. you can. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because it's so. I think that's a, this is going to be a touchstone moment for the world. Yeah, because really, either way you think about this, like violence is violence. Like you, you can't just say, Oh, you know, it's, it's just, just a slap, right? Well, no, you can't say that. That that's where I think the lot, like people are going to start to think like, huh? This what is, is that? not, cool. yeah, this is not <laughs> yeah. cool. I mean, violence is violence. When you hit someone, you hit someone. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. You know, Hollywood is a way of uh, rehabilitating people who in other parts of society would be languishing in prison for the rest of their lives. But uh, yeah, again, probably another another uh, another episode to get into that. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I met him a couple of times in the movie. He was a nice enough guy, oh, so you know, interesting. I'll, 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 you know, I don't I don't like to judge people generally, but yeah, yeah. so I worked on that movie, and then uh, you know, I worked on some um, uh, of the movies that Disney was making with Pixar, um, Monsters Inc. Two, and 
uh, Toy Story three and, and some of that stuff. I, you know, I was, I was not a very senior person, so it's not like, yeah, my name is the front of the, the, the credits, but, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of interesting stuff going on. But your name is in the credits. My name is in the credits. Yes. Huh. About eight minutes into the credits. <laughs> <laughs> so next time I watch any of those movies, because those are the classics. I'll just wait till go. the end. I'll be like, yeah. is he there? Is he there? Well, <laughs> so what's super interesting is I have interviewed, I must say probably four or five entrepreneurs that started out in the film industry and then moved over to being an entrepreneur SaaS, like basically taking the creative part of their brain and moving it over to business. And it's just so fascinating to me because, um, you know, as an author, like you're an author too, a lot of authors that they never make the jump like that. They're like, I love to write. And I I, I, literally, they'll write hundred thousand word books forever. And that's only half the battle. The next battle is someone's got to read it. Like it's not, you know, just, is it really a book if no one reads it? So I'm curious what part of your, you know, in your either how you grew up or or just your attitude just decided like kind of said oh well you know I've down this career but then I'm going to jump over to business because again like I must have interviewed almost six people that have done the same thing yeah it's uh, I'll tell you about my path and I don't know if my path is the same as others um I think what I realized while I was working in the movie business was that um, I am very focused on um, making sense of things, right? Uh, I'm very focused on making sense of things, on creating structure uh, and order and kind of understanding, taking disparate threads and, and, and understanding them in, in, a, in, a, in a way that kind of is, that makes sense. Um, in the movie industry, you know, it worked for me for my jo- in the jobs I was in because a lot of what I was doing was evaluating um, evaluating stories and scripts. And the dirty secret of Hollywood is that, uh, you know, you have this, this, you know, people have this romantic vision that, oh, some brilliant writer sits down and creates this brilliant script and it kind of is, you know, then forwarded on and it, and it becomes a movie. And, and that's not how it works. Um, these things go through analysis and, you know, they have a hundred people that are breaking them down and making suggestions and, and putting them, you know, breaking them apart and putting them back together. Um, and, and a lot of it is actually based on, on trying to kind of figure, you know, figure out the, the, the foundational elements and how things need to be arranged to build a story that is going to work with the audience and be commercially successful. So in retrospect, I realized that, that what I, what I was saying, I'm good at, you know, trying to take disparate threads and make sense of them actually was what I was doing right in, oh. in, in my job in movie industry. Right. So yeah. it was, it was pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, but then what I re- figured out was that um, there was this whole kind of veneer of, of artistry, you know, the sexiness of it. <laughs> and, and, and I, I wasn't getting, you know, I, I wasn't getting any of that. So I lost, I lost the romantic, uh, the, the romantic, you know, drive that I think you need to really succeed in that in that business. But then I started to say like, look, what I'm really interested in is, you know, how do you make money in movies? Um, Mm -hmm. And I got into financing and trying to figure out like, if you make a movie for a million dollars, you know, how do you actually then turn profit, right? Mm -hmm. If if you're borrowing this much money and you have to spend this much money on marketing. And when you put it into a theater, you make, you know, $2 off every ticket sold. And, you know, what's the addressable market? It actually 
figuring out film financing is exactly the same at the end of the day as writing um, a business plan, right? For, yeah, uh, for an startup. And so that's where I I started to kind of evolve um, more into the into the business world. Yeah, because what's interesting about movies, and I think this is unique to movies, I can't think of another thing that's like this. They like pull a team together, build it, and then the team goes apart. I mean, yeah, literally, it's like the ultimate startup kind of thing. It's like we're going to start this up for four months, and then you know, and and and, and what's the thing I never realized? I have some friends that are down in, in LA. They're actually were friends of my late wife, Jane, they were in the movie business. And when Jane lived down in LA, she was in that too. Like just weird. It's a weird world down there. Like it just makes no sense. It's, it is like, it's, I don't get it. And like, thankfully, like that's not my, right. But what I always found interesting is like, you know, the credits start and there's like all of these names attached to this movie. It's like this production, that production. And I'm like, why are there so many people that are doing this. And then I sort of realized, oh, well, they pull that, you know, these sort of either production company or the financing or whatever, they have to pull together an entire team to make this thing happen. And then the entire team just goes away. And I'm, I'm, I got to believe, of course, people like to work with each other and maybe yeah. some studios have a team that they just roll onto projects like you know, like if a TV show, like some of my friends like worked on TV shows, so they like right. run season they nine. Yeah, right. But but it was still this literally freelance type situation where you didn't know like if, is it going to get canceled? Is it not going to get canceled? So it seems it's way way more entrepreneurial than they get credit for. That that's the thing I could. I'm like I had a lot of respect for that. Especially yeah, it is very entrepreneurial that way, and actually it was. It was kind of the gig economy before the gig economy, right? Exactly. The people, the, exactly. The people in the in the technical areas, especially, you know, the guys who do the lighting and the sound and all of that. I mean, they, they're they're all freelance for the most part, and they go from gig to gig, and they've been that's how it's been for you know hundred years. So it's yeah. A, yeah, it was a very it's a, it's an interesting thing. But you know, the, the names that are that that you see before the you know the movie yeah. starts, you know, three quarters of those people had nothing to do with the movie; they just had some money and. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 yeah, yeah. That's, that's how it goes. <laughs> Why? Because again, I think the again, I've interviewed a couple again, almost six that have transitioned over, and I think that environment is a very good kind of thought process. I don't know what the word like. Just, just it's like an incubator almost for this is what a startup's like. I mean, yeah. you are a hundred percent. Like you got to yeah. figure this stuff out. Like, it, it, you know, and I, I like, I like why you brought the point up about, well, it's really not about the script. Like, yeah, this guy's got this great idea, but I mean, you know, we're trying to figure out how to make money at this. So it's a little bit different. you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, it is, it's interesting when you put it that way. I mean, it's true. It is very much that way. I mean, even the writers, I mean, the writers are like their own little entrepreneurial venture, right? Yeah. Every time you, they write up, they write a project and they got to figure out, you know, who they're going to sell it to and, and, you know, who's, you know, how, how they're going to position it. Uh, it's, I've never thought about it that way, but you make a really good point. I mean, it, it really is, uh, it really is like that, but I think where it differs in a lot of ways is that every time, unless you're, you know, one of the mega successful people, every time you're done with something, you got to start over from scratch. Right. Right. Whereas, whereas at least, you know, if you're starting a company, hopefully, you know, you make a run, 
you know, you, if you, you can exit, you know, you can go, you can kind of go to the next thing, but, but it's not like, you know, every year, you know, you're, 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 you're on to the next thing. I mean, it's, it's a grind. And it's one of the reasons that a lot of people, um, don't spend their whole, you know, they, they, they do it for a while and they leave because it, it, uh, it's a grind and it's kind of like you, you either love it and it's in your blood or, or it's not the right thing for you. But entrepreneurship is probably similar in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, Jane, my late wife, mm-hmm. I, I, who I've talked about a lot, like she had all these LA friends, all mm-hmm. these stars and these premier, we'd go to these like premier things, you know, up here in San Francisco yeah. and all this. And she just loved that. Like, oh, this is so yeah. great. And I'm just like, I can't handle this. <laughs> I can't take this. this is the <laughs> worst. You know, I mean, I have, you know, met some famous people and still like, but to me, it was just like, can we just go home? I just don't, you know. And, they put their pants on one leg at a time. Well, like and, <laughs> right, right. And, and what I, the thing I never knew in, in this, what I learned was that it's like the stars aren't important. It's these producers that like mm-hmm. the ones that do the project. So they're like, they're the ones building these projects. And of course, these actors are like, I want to be attached to, or whatever. I mean, this was back, you know, Harvey Weinstein stuff, you know. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's still the same, right. uh, you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, I, before I left the industry, I had a, I had a movie project that I was trying to get made and I was going to produce it. And we had written a script and put a bunch of money into it. And it had, get, it had been, um, the product had been bought by National Geographic Films. Um, and we were pretty close to like getting it, getting it made. Uh, and then, um, the president of National Geographic Films got fired and the new guy came in and he cleaned, you know, he got rid of all the, 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 the old stuff. And so the project never happened, but, um, you know, I, it, it's true. I mean, it's like, you're building your own little company every time you do these things, you put it together. Yeah. And even the fun. So like you, to your point, the fundraising, yeah. Yeah. the business plan, the vision, I mean, these are all very much aligned with building a SaaS product, building a yep. hard, whatever the, it just to your point, which I think is valid, like it's a little longer burn, right? You're not, <laughs> I mean, you're going to pivot, but the pivot is not, you know, I mean, I guess it could be a rewrite or whatever, but you know, and cause the thing, the first time I heard about like writing on spec was Stephen Pressfield when he wrote the legend of Bagger Vance based on mm-hmm. his book. Yeah. yeah. And he's just like, yeah, this is my, that's what I was doing in LA, writing these screenplays thinking, oh yeah, I'm great. And it's like, this is what a slog, you know? Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not easy. No, no. I mean, it's, you know, I find it, I just find it so fascinating because um, that mentality is very helpful starting a company or even an agency or the hybrid. I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, I guess, what Acceleration Partners does so i mean not granted i i know a little bit but i'd love to hear sort of the thought process of how that works and then of course we'll talk a little bit about the book because i think again it's so fascinating these little threads they sort of build on each other i think yeah yeah they, they, they do build on each other and it's whenever i have these conversations i pull out kind of something else i hadn't you know really connected the dots on. So it's very interesting right. for me, but yeah, Acceleration Partners, uh, we are the largest independent partnership marketing agency in the world. So we run um, uh, uh, a bunch of different kinds of programs uh, for, 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 for brands, but uh, the ones that are probably most well-known are what are called affiliate programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those who don't know, an affiliate program is where you have a, a, a brand, you know, who's selling a product or a service online generally, and they want to work with uh, a set of third-party publishers 
um, people that have properties or assets online. Uh, so, they, so they build a program where those third-party publishers can um, promote the brand and uh, get paid on a, usually on a commission basis. There are different ways to be done, but it's usually on a commission basis, some kind of performance basis when there's a transaction or a lead or a new customer or whatever it is, whenever they, they kind of send the brand, the thing that the brand wants. So, you know, affiliate programs represent something like 10 to 15%, they're different estimates, but 10 to 15% of all online um, transaction volume. And, you know, we run these programs for a lot of different companies, um, you know, Target and Reebok and Marriott, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so small companies. Small companies. Well, <laughs> although we, we all, I mean, those are the big ones. We, we yeah. do run programs for a lot of much smaller companies, you know, uh, um, you know growth stage companies as well. Mm-hmm. But um, And so so affiliate marketing is, is the, 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 the kind of core of it. Um, we also do influencer marketing. Um, we can get to that if it's helpful. And, um, uh, you know, other types of like partnership development. So it's all kind of under this rubric of, of partnership marketing and, and, and building programs where you can work with partners on a performance basis. And is there software involved? Like, do you have a platform? There is software involved. Um, it's not our software. So, well, I guess th- there's, there's two kinds of software. So um, there are platforms that track and pay and keep all the, 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 you know, you know, they do all the, they have all the metrics and the reporting, right? Mm-hmm. So platforms like Impact or Partnerize or AWIN or CJ, you know, they're different ones that people might know. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially they're the plumbing, right? So, right. uh, so, so if, if, you know, if you're, if you're the brand and you're working with me and, I, and I'm the publisher, um, you know, you have a program that's set up on one of these platforms. I sign up on that platform. Uh, and so that way, all the transactions can be tracked. You know how much, you know, how many customers I'm referring to you. I know how much money you owe me and I get a check through the platform. Or, you know, that, that, that those platforms kind of run through the plumbing. Uh, and then we have our own technology that just helps with business intelligence and, and data. You know, there's some of these programs have tens of thousands of publishers in them. So there's huge amounts of data. Wow. That needs to be managed. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So you sort of like facilitate setting these programs up. Yeah. And, and then we manage all the relationships. And the relationships. Okay. Yeah. And you can imagine if you have, if you've, you know, if you have a thousand publishers in a in a program, right? And you know, those publishers could be bloggers, they mm-hmm. could be sites that post um, coupon codes. They could be, you know, cashback sites like uh, Rakuten Loyalty, you know, for people seeing their ads on uh, on the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could be CNN or mm-hmm. BuzzFeed, right, or Wired. Those are all uh, publishers in the in the affiliate ecosystem. Um, there, there's the beauty of it is that you know there's a nearly infinite variety of publishers that brands can work with, and so you know a lot of it is figuring out the strategy of which are the publishers that line up with with my brand and my brand story and can, and can really represent us the right way in the market. And, and how effective is this? Uh, it's super effective. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, of like, course, it, it, Jari, it's, it's super yeah. effective. <laughs> it's really effective. Um, yeah, no, I, the, the, the general, you know, uh, storyline uh, to harken back to, to the movie piece is that uh, these programs are never going to, uh, drive volume quickly, right? You can't start one today 
and expect to have lots of volume next week because it's relationships. You have to go out and move to build the relationships. And yeah, and it was gonna be, it's a more like a business development kind of timeline, right? So, you know, if you're going to advertise on Facebook or Google, you can just dump a shitload of money into Facebook or, you know, Google and, uh, and, and all of us, you know, pretty quickly, you know, you'll have, you'll have volume because you're just putting a lot of ads. Out right. There. right. Um, it doesn't work that way because this is relationships. Um, but once these programs get up to scale, Again, they can often, you know, drive ten to fifteen percent, or even more in some cases, of a of a, of a company's um, transaction volume. And um, very often, it is, uh, if not the most efficient, one of the most efficient channels that uh, that that, a, that an advertiser has. Because what's really different about it is that um, in these programs, the brand is setting. How much the price? They're saying I'm willing to pay ten dollars right. for a new customer, or I'm willing to pay you ten percent of a of a of a whatever the transaction value is. And so, because they're setting the price, they can ensure that the economics are uh, hmm. beneficial, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, on Google or Facebook or some of these other platforms, uh, obviously they own the pricing model, right? And you either play the game or you don't play the game. And I don't want to claim that people shouldn't be working with them. You know, they should. It's, it's just different, a different part of the marketing pie. But, um, you know, the economics can work really differently. You're not in control of the economics. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have my general heuristic, right? Like, I think ads, Google, Facebook ads are almost worthless if you're below a certain threshold of yeah. revenue. I think the one I use is if you can't spend a million dollars a year on Facebook or Google ads, it's probably not going to benefit you. I mean, I don't have really any data to back that up other than the fact that I don't like ads. <laughs> I don't well, like, like and, that, and, and, that, and that's valid. I mean, I, I, the pushback I would give you, so my, my wife actually has a, um, uh, a smaller company and oh, she does yeah. really well with Facebook ads, oh, but they're incredibly narrowly targeted. Right. And I think that's the key. Like if you're a smaller business, you can, I think you can do it if they're incredibly narrowly targeted Mm -hmm. um, because you really know your customer. But in general, I, 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 as a general thing, I agree with you. I think there are a lot of companies that just assume they're going to throw money into Google and Facebook's, you know, black box and all of a sudden they're going to do great. And I don't think it works that way most of the time. Yeah. What what business is your wife in? Uh, She runs an online um, exercise program for people with autoimmune disorders. Oh, so it's like very specifically targeted at, at those kinds of people. And is it like, so it's like, issues. it's like a subscription or? What's yeah, the... it's a monthly subscription. Yeah. But it's just, it's a, you know, it's targeted at a very specific person. Yeah. Well, they always say the riches are in the niches, I think. There you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think Russell and, and Branson actually, says I, that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think, and part of that actually translates into what we do because, you know, with partners, you yeah. can find partners in all these different niches, right? And you can say, okay, well, that partner talks to that niche. And so I can very specifically, you know, tailor my copy or promotional, you know, material or whatever it is um, to that niche with that partner. Yeah, 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 yeah. So do you, so do you think, just I'll put you on the spot here, this uh, affiliate as opposed to ads, if you're a startup and you're trying to figure out the best place to spend your promotional dollar. What do you think? What, what, what would be the mix? You know, like yeah. how, how, how do you think you should think about it? Cause I, this is really important because I don't think a lot of people really truly understand this affiliate model or what I like to call advocates. Like I think advocates for your brand are the most powerful thing on the planet. If, 
you and I are like sitting around, you know, Hey, what's going on? You're like, Hey, Matt, man, there's this great tool. You got to see it a hundred times out of, you know, what 85 out of a hundred times you're like, Oh, cool. You'll look at it. Whereas it's some silly ad. Maybe not again, I'm biased. Full, yeah. full disclosure. I'm not a big fan. I see the value in them. Don't get me wrong. Like I generally think you have to experiment with ads because ads can tell you a lot of detailed data that you may not have. But I think startups spend way more money on ads initially than they should. And they don't spend enough on content or other channels that are like building what your point is spot on building the relationship with the customer or a, a channel that's like more than just a transaction. And I think in the world nowadays, you know, ads are being arbitrage. You, again, the reason why I use the million dollar thing is like, you got to have money to play that game. Like it's not like spray and pray. So yeah. I'm just curious. Cause I, I get asked this question a lot and I don't have a good answer. Yeah. I, it's, um, and I assume when you say startup, you're, you're talking about someone who's not, you know, not a startup that's raising many, many millions of dollars of venture capital, but a, a startup startup. Well, I think, I think, well, I think let's break it out, right? Yeah. I usually like to say that between zero and let's say five million in revenue, annual mm-hmm. revenue, right? Yeah. That that kind of place from zero to hero, right? Like, yeah. oh, I got nothing. Like, that's the place. Like, usually where all my experiences. Most of my friends are in there. Like I don't, yep. I, I, I know some people in the hundred million billion, but that bucket at that level, that's where, okay, I may raise some money. I, I, I'm curious how the mix should be and mm-hmm. how affiliate programs as a yeah, channel, like, yeah, how that, how, you know, and then of course, I'm sure, I mean, of course you mentioned it applies to big companies too, which I think I understand a little bit more, but how about that? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. What do you so, think? so, so here's what I would say. Um, the thing about affiliate programs is that if you want to run them at like scale, right? Again, like I mentioned before, some programs have a thousand or ten thousand publishers in them, right? If you want to run that kind of a program, um, you need to have a story that is going to resonate with all those publishers to say, Hey, I want to work with, with that brand. Um, generally speaking, when you are in the zero to $5 million bucket, um, you may have a great story, but if, but those publishers have never heard of you, they have no idea who you are. And if they look you up, they're not going to find a lot about you. So it can be very hard to, to push a program at scale when you're at that size level. Now, now that being said, I think where a lot of companies find success, and we actually wrote about uh, an example in the book, um, the company ButcherBox, if you're familiar with Yeah, oh yeah. Butcher, yep, uh-huh. um, you know, when they were, were small and starting out, they had a massive amount of success um, finding a relatively small group of, of publishers who were, and influencers, who were, you know, really aligned with their mission and, and, and you know, where the fit was there. And, you know, they did incredibly well with those folks and, and they really helped build the business in the early days because they found, as you said before, niches are riches. They found like, like a, a niche of, of people who, who were able to, to really deliver for them. Uh, and so what I would say is that for, for companies in the zero to $5 million bucket, I think 
you're you're probably really much better off not trying to launch a full-scale affiliate program. You are much better off spending your time trying to find 10 or 20 really great partners that are really aligned with you where you can build really solid, beneficial, long-term relationships that can really help move the needle for you. Because that's a number where you can really work closely with them. You can you know, get them what they need. You can figure out the right strategies for each of them. And if they have uh, a, you know, a decent-sized audience, um, it, it can really move the needle at that, at that size. Once you get up into the 5 and $10 million range, then you can start opening up to a wider range of, of, of publishers because then you have more of a story, you're, you're more established, and you'll, be, you'll have a much easier time you know, uh, getting those guys to answer your, the call, right? Yeah. Versus when you're, you know, got when you're on a five hundred thousand dollar run rate. So, so, so that's really my my advice there. I mean, I, I'm not a, I, I'm not a full stack marketer, so I, I I can't say well you should be like you know doing twenty percent Facebook and twenty percent Google. You know, I, I I I tend to believe I tend to agree with you that that you know those. Uh, the, the return tends not to be there at, at that size. Mm-hmm. Although, again, unless you can really figure out a niche where you can um, get eyeballs at a at a relatively low cost, right? If you if you're if you're just buying clicks for twenty five bucks a pop, you, you're you're probably not going to have a lot of success. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, unless your product is very high priced. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I had that experience at this company I worked at Sutro. Where yeah. they it was a direct to consumer plus distribution channel through pool stores, um, and literally we were looking at affiliate kind of like uh, what do they call it? like advocacy programs? There's, there's this yeah. platform called uh, Zuberance, I think it's Zuberance. Anyway, I'm, I butchered it, but um, actually talked with them because because the the thing the thing that's again you have to prove and you have to like how do you and that was more on when you get a customer, building that customer into an advocate as opposed to an affiliate, which yeah. they had a little, I mean, it can there's get a little muddy. No yeah, yeah, there's some overlap, right? There's a little, it gets a little mudgy, like a little yeah. bit mungy, right? But um, I think his name's Bob. Bob had wrote a book um, about it and talked about it. And, and some of his insights were exactly what you just said. It was more, you had to really think long-term strategy, prove that your model works, what works, what doesn't work. So just like any marketing channel, you don't know what works until you start. Exactly. Until it works. Yeah. And I love your point. Like it does, who knows? I I think that a lot of people want this time certainty hack, right? Like, oh, we're just going to growth hack this. Well, growth hack what and how? Because there's some things this may not work on. I mean, are, are there things where this doesn't work, or is 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 it you know? We tend to believe it's a it's a how, not an if, right? Because like I said before, there's an almost infinite number of partners out there and publishers, right? right? So so there, there's going to be someone out there that is a good fit for your business. It's just a question of, of finding them and right. and uh, figuring out how to work with them. And you know, look, sometimes the economics just just don't line up, right? I mean, it, it, a lot of it depends. You know, we, what I was going to say before you started that, but it, it dovetails is like, the thing that people have to remember is that these, um, whether they're influencers or whether it's BuzzFeed or whether it's a, you know, a blogger, whoever it is, they have 
you know, the equivalent of shelf space, right? They can only post so many times. They can only run so many editorials. They can only, they can only do so many things. And so they want to make sure that whatever they are putting on their shelf to sell, right, or to, to talk about is aligned for them, is going to be something their customer is interested in, uh, and has value. And I think what sometimes people forget, they 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 kind of believe that um there's you know that that there's infinite shelf space. And so why wouldn't you want to you know promote my awesome thing? <laughs> but but if they don't know who you are, they have no idea what your awesome thing is. The chance of them, you know, uh, taking something off the shelf, but your thing on the shelf is going to be a lot less. Yeah, a lot less. Right. Yeah. And so, so, so that's how we think about it. So, um, so, so to the point of what you're asking for before, like it's, it's about, does it work for everyone? You know, it's about figuring out, you know, who, who's got the shelf space that you're going to want. And, and some of it is understanding your competitive position, right? Um, if you are uh, a company that sells, you know, a widget, and uh, you have a competitor that's a lot bigger than you that sells a similar widget, right? But you think your widget is better for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, you know, if you can go to publishers and you can say, look, I'll give you a free try. Uh, you can, t- here's one of my widgets for free. Try it out. And if you like it, write about it, right? That may get them to write about you instead of the other guy, right? Even though the other guy is better known and bigger right. company and right. maybe even can pay more, right? right? Or if you're willing to say to that publisher, like, Hey, um, uh, I've got uh, a new updates to my widget coming out every month. I will uh, give your readers, you know, your audience, uh, uh, access to them three days in advance of the general public, right? And then the publisher says, "Oh wow, like my publisher, my readers are going to love that. They're getting uh, a, a, an offer that they can't get anywhere else." Uh, again, they might then say that they want to put you on their shelf as opposed to the other guy. So. You have, no matter how you're thinking about these programs, you have to think about this concept and like how you're going to get on the shelf. Um, hmm. But again, when you're small, it's a lot easier to do that if you're limiting yourself to 10 or 20, you know, partners as opposed to trying to do that with a thousand at once. It's a lot, yeah. a lot harder. Yeah. I think it's like anything of value takes time to build, like a relationship, exactly. like you, yep. like you, like you said. Any of these programs take six to twelve months. Yeah, is what we tell all of our. Yeah, well, that, that's. I, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. there's no quick fix to this. Yep. The the going viral growth hack stuff. No. Some people get lucky, and yep. of course they're always held up to this high esteem. But I'm like, well, they're survivor biased. They're the ones that made it. They didn't get right. eaten by the saber tooth tiger. Everyone else, the yeah. thousand to one that are all lying in the bone pile, like you know you can't make that correlation that that's the thing that always sort of bothers me about a lot of this stuff especially when it comes to like can you guarantee success right like cuz i don't think the outcome can be guaranteed i think the effort towards the outcome you have control over the actual outcome is not random but a lot of luck a lot of hard work and a lot of more effort but like i think the thing that i found and I'm curious to, to get your take on this, is you have to experiment a lot to actually figure out which one of these methods works. And to your point about start small, build a story, like they're going to search you up, right? So if you don't have the basics, like good SEO, like a good landing page, a good story, like some, you need some heft, you need some ballast in yeah. the world to be like, oh, you're real. And yeah. Like a lot of people ask, well, as an example, which sort of dovetails a little bit with this, like, 
what's the value of PR? What's the value of content? How come I don't see an ROI, quote unquote ROI, right? Well, some things you can't have an ROI on, like this particular, you can see it. But there's just some things that are like fundamental to biz- doing business. It's like the cost to play. And yeah, I think, I'm curious, what is that minimum cost to play to do something like this effective? Because again, I, I get asked this a lot, like, what content should I do? What kind of PR and marketing? You know, how am I going to measure the effectiveness of it? And I'm almost like, well, there's almost just the ante to be at the table. And what, what do you guys see when it comes to like, what's the ante to actually be successful at this? What do you need? Yeah. So you need, um, you need a, a decent site, right? And uh, you need a site that um, is built to convert uh, uh, according to best practices. Um, a ki- the, the, the biggest killer for these programs is you, you work with, with partners, they send a bunch of traffic and you convert at a 0.1% rate because then, because, because they can see it, they can see that, oh, I sent you 10,000 clicks and you, and you, and you got one transaction, which means that I only got, you know, my one commission, <laughs> right. For that one transaction. Oh, so we have, we have had, uh, in the past, you know, some, some situations like that where, um, you know, we go out and we, we build the, these programs and there's real problems with the client's site, uh, with their, with their conversion funnel. And, um, and the conversion rate is just way below, you know, what you would normally expect. Um, you know, I think pretty typical is like, uh, if you're talking about content, you know, it's like a 2% conversion rate if you're in retail, you know, would be pretty typical one to 2%, right. Something like that. Um, and so if you're, you know, if, if you're converting a 0.1%, um, you're going to lose interest pretty quickly from publishers because they're not going to make enough money, right? They have to send massive amounts of traffic in order to, to make any money. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so Table Stakes is a, is a, is a, a decent site that converts well. Um, and look, I think the Table Stake is having that you are selling something that people are going to want. You know, it's 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 hard to try to to get someone to kind of, you know, promote to their audience authentically um, something that, you know, isn't valuable <laughs> to be, to be perfectly honest. Um, right. Now, you know, like I, if, obviously there are places where this happens all the time. There's like nutraceuticals and places where people just like throw something out there and, you know, and people will run it, but it, at least in the world that we play in, which is, you know, uh, you know, try a little bit more um, uh, sophisticated. Uh, um, you know, I think that, people want to see a differentiated product because it's much easier for them to, to promote and, and, and sell through. So uh, I think th- those are some table stakes. Um, and then uh, another issue which people should be aware of is um, are you selling on your own site and also on Amazon? Because if you were selling on your, all, on your own site and also on Amazon, what will happen is uh, you will work with a partner. That partner will write a great editorial piece about how great your product is. And then someone will say, oh, I'm going to go see how expensive this product is on Amazon. And they will go to Amazon. They will see that it is cheaper maybe on Amazon or they have Prime and they will buy it there. And A, you will make less money because you always make less money when someone buys your product on Amazon versus your own site. But B, um, you will end up in a situation where, again, your part, the publisher will see that they're, sent, that they're getting lots of clicks and not a lot of conversions because, they, because the conversion path doesn't get tracked through Amazon. 
Right, right. Unless they're right. an Amazon affiliate too, but then that's but, but even if they are, you wouldn't see it. Like right. you wouldn't yeah. even know. <clears throat> yeah, right? yeah. It's yeah. gonna be totally separate. So yeah. so um so a lot of companies fall into this trap where they spend time and money building these programs. Oh, but ultimately they don't work because you know 50% of the of the revenue ends up getting siphoned off via Amazon and they can't, they don't actually know what their return looks like at all. Wow. So you really have to be very thoughtful and think yes. through all the conversion metrics and stuff because I didn't think about that one. Yeah. I mean, what people are going to go like look on Amazon to see if they can get it cheaper or prime yeah. or whatever. Exactly. Yep. And that's not even captured. I mean, that's the whole problem with all this like affiliate and capture and codes. Like I have the same problem with just, you know, attributing a thing, a marketing thing or whatever, some program, some campaign to a result, you know, because again, like this is the reason why everyone where there's just some basic things you have to do in order to run a business in the PR marketing and sales space that you may not even ever capture the quote unquote ROI on because again, it's table stakes. It's like, this is what you got to do just to sit at the table. I didn't know that's really good. So client conversion rate, making sure that interesting. So yeah. So if you're, if you're a publisher, you got your, you know, you did your job, right? Right. And then their site doesn't convert. Do, Do you, do you then like help that, customer or that um brand like help them we, we don't do conversion optimization right but right. we will say to them like hey we really think you've got a problem with your conversion funnel and mm-hmm. we would really recommend that you figure it out if you want this to be successful for sure and, um I, yeah. you know I'll, i will push back though i think a little bit on you a little bit um, okay. in that you know the whole premise of, of our book uh you know moving to outcomes is that right. oh, oh, way more marketing activities can actually be tracked, uh, I think, than people realize. And we and we believe that that will be more and more of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, one example I'll give you is, we, you know, in the book, we, we joked about how, you know, in the future, there would, might be a scenario where um, an agency uh, representing a, 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 a client buys Super Bowl halftime ad space Mm-hmm. runs an ad and then charges the client based on you know how many customers are referred by that ad and are essentially arbitraging a Super Bowl ad right yeah. so 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 we talk about that in the book is like you know an interesting future state and then lo and behold coinbase uh ran that ad with the QR code right <laughs> now an agency didn't arbitrage that but no. coinbase knows exactly yeah. how many customers they got yeah. off of the $8 million they spent on their yeah. Super Bowl ad. They're probably the only company yeah. that knows exactly that. Or right? like, yeah, for, I mean, like, yeah, there's, I think, first order and second order effects, right? Yeah. There's the first order effect, scan this code now, which right. depending on if it's real time, you know, and then the second order effect of how cool was that? Let me look that, let me look yeah, that. Yeah, let me go check but, it out. Right, right. So it's, I mean, that's savvy. That's actually really super interesting. They're Oh yeah. Cause see, I'm glad you brought that up because the trend I'm seeing in the sort of agency world, like what I do for a living, which is, which has been happening over the last, I think couple of years, but really started to accelerate, especially for startups, this whole idea of pay per performance, right. Um, 
And so I think that's a really fascinating way to go. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. And uh, I, you know, can't wait to dig into the book because, you know, outcomes matter. (laughs) And and I know I always say like, you only control the effort, which you sort of do. And of course, philosophically, but no one cares about that, right? (laughs) They they want to see the outcome, right? Show me the money, right? They want to know they want to know the return on that space. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's interesting space. There's a lot going on uh, in the space at this point. 100%. Well, you know, Matt, this is such a great conversation. Thank you so much for for being on the show. Can't wait to dig in and read the book. Um, I think you're definitely on to something. I love the idea of affiliates. I've always thought that having people advocate for you is the best marketing spend ever, but it takes time and effort. And of course, like play around, experiment, just don't, you know, be curmudgeon like me and say, ah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you're right. It, it doesn't always work, you know, initially, but if you, uh, if you keep at it, um, you know, usually you can figure it out and find the right partners and the right approach. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Stay safe. Thanks again, Matt, for being on the show. I'm always uh, so fascinated with the whole idea of affiliates and advocate marketing. I do think it's uh, something that's always overlooked. And uh, I also think it's a very powerful marketing channel. So as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my awesome interview with Matt. One major benefit of using partnerships is that unlike paying for ads, the business gets to set the price. You offer a particular percentage in commission, for example, and this number can change as your needs change. And I think this is a really actually a very good point that Matt brought up. Uh, in affiliate marketing or you know, when you actually say, hey, if you promote my stuff, you get a sale, I'll give you this percentage. That's a fixed cost, right? It's a channel cost. Whereas with ads, Facebook, Google, et cetera, those, those values of the keywords change. So there's a marketplace, right? So your cost of acquisition could actually um, go up wildly. So super interesting uh, way to think about it. I'd say the questions that you should ask yourself on this, uh, which we'll get to actually in a second as well, is you know when will affiliate marketing make sense? Can I really have a good partnership with this person? Or this organization? Um, am I structured to do that? Can I set stuff up properly? I think those are some things. And we'll talk a little bit more on the next insight, right? If you're interested in exploring affiliate marketing for your business, it's all about relationship building, which is a long-term growth strategy, right? It's not a quick fix. If you're a startup doing under, say, like 5 million, Matt recommends starting with between 10 and 20 partners, Okay, so this is what I just was briefly talked about before. Um, What's interesting here is that it is a valuable channel. It's something you need to nurture, but you shouldn't just go whole hawk until you figure it out, kind of like your product, right? When you're building your product, you kind of don't know what you don't know. You get some new you know, customers, you sort of feel it out, and then you iterate from there. I think the same thing goes with this affiliate thing. So, yeah, I mean – Definitely pay attention to it, you know, ask questions like, you know, who are some people that I can maybe partner with and trust that I can experiment with that'll be a little more amendable if I don't got quite things quite right, because, you know, never, never works the first time, right? So just think about that. Having a good website and good conversion funnels are two must-haves for affiliate marketing to work. Just as important, of course, is having a product or service people want and others will want to recommend. And I thought this was an interesting one as well, where, you know, affiliate gives you, gets the click through, 
lands on the site on your on your conversion funnel, and then the conversions are poor, well, that's sort of on you, right? Um, I think you definitely got to work on that, and I think that's the reason why if you're starting out in this again to just kind of get some people you can kind of play around with and like really it's low quote unquote risk i guess until you really figure it out because i think it's like anything just like figuring out your product like getting product market fit i think you're going to need you know affiliate market fit right so there you have it the actionable insights i learned from my awesome interview with matt thanks for listening and we'll see you next time Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.